Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Big Fish. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. God, could, you could be a bit more enthusiastic, <laughs> couldn't you, Joel? <laughs> it's like you're so unsure about your own name. Uh, just like Big Fish, we're as big as life itself. Which, after the amount of eating and lack of exercise during lockdown, it's probably true, to be honest. Now, this week's film on trial is the 2003 fantasy film, Big Fish. Is it Big Fish? Is it Little Fish? Or is it Cardboard Box? Hopefully. I quite like that one. <laughs> does yeah. it translate? I think it does, doesn't it? Does I it? think so. I you don't know, even get like it. Very English. Do you have to see the film to understand it. Translates within our friendship group, Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got it. I, I enjoyed it. Big fish, little fish, cardboard box is a dance move. It's very popular. Well, at least it was for a brief <laughs> period of the nineties. In nineteen ninety two, maybe <laughs> never popular, Gavin. It was never. You did it a lot, but it was never popular. <laughs> hey, if nobody knows what this is, please go into YouTube and type in "big fish, little fish, cardboard box" and you'll see exactly what we're talking about. And I'm talking to Joel as well here. <laughs> right, essentially. Um, uh, is this film uh, worthy of a place on our hit list or will it be on our shit list by the end? Hopefully we're going to find out. Just to say this will be a very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen Big Fish or you haven't seen the dance move Big Fish, Little Fish cardboard box yet, then check it out either on YouTube or you can pay £3.50 on Amazon Prime. That's for the Why film. Why do you always say hopefully we're going to find out as if you know something's going to happen mid-episode? <laughs> And cut us off and, you know, the viewers won't find out what happens at the end. Well, all, I say hopefully because, like, what if it's like Suspiria and it ends up on the wrong list and, you know, people don't actually find out. People just don't find out. Let's not, let's let's not drag right that place. out. <laughs> let's not drag that. that Suspiria seems, that just seems to come out of nowhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, are you just constantly thinking about that? It's constantly, like, at the forefront of my mind. Every time I hear Joel speak, it annoys me slightly <laughs> to think of what that man did to me. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about don't go and listen to Suspiria episodes <laughs> uh, right. alternatively what you can do is you can fast forward to our quiz this week is being brought to us by Dave which will start around the 40 odd minute mark I reckon uh, before we go on our last film on trial was Deep Blue Sea which Alex judged and he deemed should be placed on the hit list now he's since gone away and watched that film Alex what do you think? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm not sure. It probably could have gone on the shit list just as easily as going on the hit list, to be honest, because, do you know what I mean? It's about genetically engineered sharks that are really clever. But it is fun. And, you know, it, 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 if you want, like, a high-stakes, thrilling monster film, it was, you know, I, I, I remembered as I was watching it the deaths that came, and I still found them pretty entertaining. They are quite shocking. So, yeah, um, you know what? For what it is, it's, it, it does it well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it probably should be on the hit list. Oh, thank you very much, Alex. Um, and also, before we go into the trial, it's uh, time for another section of uh, Gav Eats. I think that's what we're calling it. Basically, I'm just eating a load of foods that were sent to us from long-term listener Stoops, who sent us over a lot of American-slash-Mexican food. Uh, this week, I'm trying something called Little Debbie's Swiss Rolls, uh, which we tried to look up on Google before, but we were denied access to the site. Uh, not because we accidentally stumbled onto a different type of site, but because <laughs> for some reason it's, it's forbidden for UK people to look at American um, uh, confectionery sites, I think. I don't know. Well, at least we couldn't access this one anyway. Um, so last week I had some Samoas or Samoa Joes, and I 
could not rate them highly enough. Five out of five coconuts for me. Right, this week, this is a bit of, it's fucking going all over my carpet here. This isn't good. Um, <laughs> it's already get, it's already been marked down. It's, yeah, it's already lost the point. I'm gone. I've just gone on the uh, reviews while you're tasting it and it's, somebody's literally said, uh, these are great for everyone of all ages unless you've got diabetes because they are not for you. That's, that's like the top rated wow. review. On, <laughs> on what about, what about that's, if, that's pretty much standard for American snacks, surely. <laughs> what about if you've got all the symptoms of diabetes but haven't been for a test? <laughs> what about this, if this you're help you frail if you've got it or not, I'm sure. <laughs> well, hey, these are all right, these. Yeah. yeah. You say that every week. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot Your of Your reviews are about as diverse. <laughs> <I> mean, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I'm genuinely surprised because a lot of this food went out of date a while ago. <laughs> so I'm surprised that it's still nice and edible. And also... Well, I mean, you don't know that until tomorrow, I think. <laughs> what I will say You've about those Samoas, it got a six out of six for me. You got the five senses and then the six point is the after effects. So six out of six, <laughs> top marks for me. So, so what's far, little Debbie getting? Little Debbie's getting a firm three and a half, if not four, Oof. I'd say. I thought it would have been higher. A Swiss low, a Swiss roll feels like something that's you know that is genuinely tasty, regardless. Even a bad Swiss roll is still good. It's, it's it a tastes good a little bit synthetic, though. It tastes a little, you know, very very sweet. Like it's got, it's just been injected with nothing but sugar. Do you ever had a Twinkie? Uh, yes, yes, that's exactly. Joe. I mean, you can tell us nothing real is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah. with that one. That's <laughs> why they talk like about the apocalypse. Eat in the apocalypse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> last like forever. Don't know what Woody Harrelson's obsession with them is all about, but <laughs> oh yeah, Zombieland. I know, but I imagine that these little Debbie Swiss rolls will probably be there with the Twinkies when the apocalypse comes and the cockroaches are eating them all because these are absolutely fine. And these went out yeah. of date a while ago and, you know, they taste great. So, yeah, I've changed my mind. Four out of six. We'll find out the six point tomorrow. Though. What so, is your ranking <laughs> system? I'm intrigued. <laughs> I told you. Five senses and the last one is how it makes me feel the next day. <laughs> so which sense did it mean that it fall back on here? Just that's just the sweetness. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the taste. It didn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you call it? Your sixth sense? Yeah, my sixth sense <laughs> is how it feels going out oh, <laughs> oh, come on, come on. behave come on come on and being genuine here right moving on quickly onto the bulk of the show this week's film as mentioned before is Big Fish it was picked out of the hat or the fish themed hat at least at random and all the roles have also been picked out of the hat at random so acting as defence and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Ozzy and Alex now, Ozzy is a bit like you, McGregor's Edward Bloom, a mysterious... Older younger? Um, I'm going to say younger. Yeah, I'm going to say younger. Uh, older, I mean, yeah, no, let's... Yeah, let's just say for younger right now. Uh, Ed, you, McGregor's Edward Bloom, a mysterious and eccentric man who's probably just a master bullshit artist. Oh, I thought you were going to say older and say that he can never finish a story. <laughs> well, in other words was going to come after master as well <laughs> to be honest I'm thinking more about the times when you know we sit down to review a film and then you tell me that you've watched it and then we do the trial and you 
come up with all this bullshit arguments, <laughs> and then if that you haven't actually watched the film, my favourite thing to do when is when we meet when, when we've done this face to face, and Ozzy's just had like at a five minute point, and then he sort of like looks, has a drink of water, and you just hold his eyes, and he sort of looks at you like, nah, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching it, I'm watching it, <laughs> but he's just for five minutes, he's been like slamming his point like absolutely, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, Ozzy, just out of curiosity, have you watched the film this week? I have watched the film this week, and I've also taken time to listen to the soundtrack on its own. Sweet Jesus. Now, what Ozzy means there is he's listened to the soundtrack and he's guessed what happens in the film. <laughs> Based <laughs> on the titles of the songs. The soundtrack. <laughs> right, and uh, joining Ozzy in defence is going to be Alex, and Alex is just like Danny DeVito's oh. Amos Calloway. I'm sorry, Alex. I'm sorry. The body of a dog hidden within a short, bald man. <laughs> I'm average, I'm average height. That's what I'm, <laughs> I'm, <sorry. laughs> I'm measured myself. <laughs> oh, uh, and acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Dave and me. Dave is a lot like Billy Crudup's Will Bloom, a sweater-wearing, curly-haired realist who has grown distrustful of his close ones after being lied to for many years. <laughs> <laughs> I can't deny any of that. <laughs> I'm obviously relating to all the many, many lies I've told Dave over the years. And now it gets to the point whenever I tell him anything true, he's like, well, that's obviously going to be a lie. It's like, it's yeah. like literally the boy who cried wolf. <laughs> uh, and obviously joining Dave is going to be me. I'm a lot like David Denham's, is it Denham? No, Den, Den Man, Den Man. Uh, David Denman's Don Price, and our soul will probably die on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defence and prosecution will be hopefully not after eating a little Debbie's Swiss roll, I might add, by the way. Uh, now, just like real court advocates, the defence and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Now, this week, the most important role is going to be played by Joel. And Joel's going to be playing the judge. And Joel is a lot like Steve Buscemi's North of Winslow, a very odd-looking man who keeps himself to himself but struggles to write any meaningful notes, but also has the potential of one day going postal, probably, I'm going to say. (laughs) Now, Joel must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. Now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let me spin the wheel of impressions. So here we read off the synopsis of the film, The Style of One of the Castle. Characters from the film this week, it has landed on Ozzy. So how would we like Ozzy to read out the synopsis? About Carl the Giant. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'd say Carl the Giant or like a gruff, like Albert Finney, Southern drawl sort of. Mm, yeah, yeah. Something like that maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe like I was a worried it was going to be me and I was hoping it would just be a Southern drawl because <laughs> although that's one I can't do, at least it's an easier one that I can't do. Southern, southern drawl and go <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, go on. Southern drawl. A, a, frustrated, a frustrated son tries to determine the fact from fiction in his dying father's life. Oh, lovely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was was all right, actually. I'd I'd listen to you tell a story in that accent. (laughs) You did a better job than you, McGregor, did anyway. Hey. Without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Certainly will. Um, So I haven't seen this film. 
uh, I was advised against it to be completely honest that like when it came out uh, one of my friends at the time uh, was really into pretentious films and uh, this is a film that, that that came up so whoever the defense is you know you're going to have to persuade me that it's not pretentious basically um so I have the opening maybe, line is that right yeah shall I not go first Ozzy <laughs> <laughs> you know you know we're, we're, we'll start off with just a, a quick uh plot summary just for me because as I say I haven't seen it never even bothered to look at what it's about so uh, it'll be helpful just to know what it is about or is it literally about a giant fish well no I mean the, it, it's it, for me the big fish bit is more of like he's a the, the, the character himself is like a big fish in a in a small world, and that's why he's he's able to come up with such fantastical stories. I, I don't think it's pretentious at all. I think it's quite a heartwarming film, actually. I mean, I don't know what I don't know if everyone would agree with this, but it was kind of like maybe a Tim Burton's version of Forrest Gump. Maybe it was like it was like a, it was pleasing. It was a nice sort of. I thought it was a, a film where everyone could just enjoy it. It was a it's got nice special effects, it's a pleasant story. It's uh, I, I don't think it's pretentious at all. I, I, I'm not really sure where people come up with that. Maybe it's because it's a Tim Burton film. But automatically, to, you know, you, people start going down that route because it doesn't. I think it's quite simple in terms of a film. So anyway, it's uh, you have the guy Edward Bloom, and he's uh, sort of notorious as a storyteller, um, and he's always told sort of tall tales about his life as a travelling salesman. Um, and yeah, and it, you know, for some people, when when you get to that sort of storyteller person, you're uh, some people love that, some people hate it. And you know, for for him, his wife, she loves it. Sandra loves it, um, and his son gets a bit tired of it over time, and he sort of he's become more estranged. He's he, he, and then now he's he's coming back because his dad's dying, so he's come back and he just wants to know, like, Dad, tell me the stories again, but tell me the truth tell me what, what's actually happening and this is uh him reminiscing over his time all of the stories that he's told him throughout his life um it's like this is his final goodbye this is the story this is the truth and um so it's like true it's, life. it's just a fantastical memoir really yeah, yeah, okay i can um, tell you baby. talk you through each piece if you want but it's uh like <laughs> it, it, i think it, it it's a, it's kind of set of a load of flashbacks and it's um it's just I think it's just a really heartwarming story about a man falling in love with a woman and just you know I think it's it's a bit reminiscent of like fairy tale type stuff American fairy tales and it's got um, so is it told is it told from uh, the viewpoint of one character or has it got like a voiceover type of thing uh, well yeah it's a voiceover but it's the one character you know it's 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 all told from Edward Bloom's point of view. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's like you've you've seen it through this guy. He's telling the stories about about the, the the his adventures as a traveling salesman, really. So it's kind of like I've seen so much of America, and you'll you'll never believe what I've seen. That's how great it was, you know. And I was always destined to do these great things. And I actually think it's just I think it's hard to piece it together in one bit. I don't think it's pretentious in at all. It's lots of small scenes throughout. Okay. Okay, so um, I think you've you've set a new world record there in that it took you all of like twenty seconds to compare it to another film. This episode. <laughs> Tim, and what Tim Burton's version of Forrest Gump does sound pretty shit, to be honest. Uh, so um, prosecution, as he said, this is a very heartwarming film. 
you know, it's a nice tale to follow. And um, I, I take it that you guys will be disagreeing with that, Gav. Oh shit! Sorry, <laughs> I was pointing to you. Saying, you picked this one up, and then yeah. <laughs> I, I, thought putting, yeah. I thought I thought you were putting your thumbs up. Okay, so Dave, do you want to take this one? I can do. Yeah, I'll fill this one. Um, yeah, heartwarming. It, it's trying a little too hard to be heartwarming. I think it was very overly sentimental, and I can't really blame Tim Burton for that. He really could relate to this story. Um, it is essentially the whole theme of it. When you take away the fantasy elements. The, the fairy tales that, that Ed Bloom is spinning to his family. Um, it's about a father and son that have grown apart and it's about them trying to reconcile before the father dies. This is something that Tim Burton could relate to. I believe he lost his father about a year before uh, this film uh, began. So this is something that was very close to his heart and you could tell it is very sentimental. It's very much about that relationship. I see what he was trying to do, but I think he gets bogged down in the sentimentality and I don't blame him for that given what was going on behind the camera. But I think when you're watching the film as a member of the audience, it does start to get a bit bogged down and you do feel like you're wading through the sentimentality to get to keep the plot going, to keep the film entertaining. And that's where I think it starts to fall down a bit. The The fairy tales aren't really cohesive. They don't really work well together. They could have worked. This could have worked as well as a collection of short stories. Uh, it wouldn't even have needed the same protagonist necessarily because things don't really carry on. It could have just been like uh, this fairy tale, this fairy tale and this fairy tale with completely different characters. And I think maybe it should have been done that way. Cause like I say, it doesn't really gel as one big work as one, as one piece. Uh, but the overarching theme is that of the father trying to tell these stories to his son one last time. Well, he, he tells a few of them to his, his son's new wife who obviously has never heard them firsthand before. So he tells her a few and his son's trying to starts looking into it, starts trying to find out a bit more about the backstory of all this. And the, the, spoiler alert the long sto- the long part of the story uh put together is essentially he finds out the stories are more or less true more or less true he's just exaggerated bits of them um so the people that he's talked about the characters that he met they are there's they're grounded in reality but they're not as fantastical like the 12 foot giant he met um is in fact like seven foot tall uh you know a, a realistic you know a very tall man but still not like a fantasy creature. He's not like 12 feet tall, like a giant from the pages of a fairy tale book. So there's ground, there's grounded in reality, but I don't know. I think they should have made a choice either to go full on fantasy or, or completely make it realistic. I think there's a lot that got lost along the way with this journey. I'm afraid. Okay. Uh, Gav, I can see uh, you want to speak, but Alex got in there before you, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll, co- I'll come to you next, but just quickly, Dave. So is this, um, it, he's not like, you know, mentally ill. He, he's blown, just, no. He's no, just he's remembering just, um, things. He's a raconteur. He's, he basically, he holds all his life. He's held a room and he's told these fantastic tales. It's like some the reason, one of the reasons why it's called big fish, not only because he's a big fish in a small town in a backwater town, um, but because he's essentially um, a raconteur. He's telling the story about the one that got away, that big fish that he almost caught. And it was the size of a lion, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, he's, he's got a story that's got an element, but he just, bullshits and makes it makes it makes his role in it bigger it makes it more fantastical okay so, he's, so he's like Gap when he's telling the story he <laughs> 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 literally is like me yeah, yeah. he's, he's a rock and surprised Gap doesn't like it he's like, he's like, <laughs> like well, he does, does see so him. much within <laughs> yeah. okay um alex do you want to make uh, your point 
Yeah, um, you know, Dave was talking about the sentimentality being being overblown. I, I totally disagree on that. I, I really liked the level of sentimentality. I think this film's quite it's quite hard in places, and it's not that sentimental. It's not like that kind of Spielberg sugary coated stuff that's a bit too much and in, in, in is over over sweet. It's quite hard hitting in some bits. The the tension between uh, like uh, Will Bloom and Ed Bloom uh, between Billy Crudup and Matt Albert Finney is really really well done. You got um, you know, Ed, the Ed Bloom Senior has been spinning these tales, but obviously he's just that this he's a storyteller, and he's always tried to like impart that to his son. He's always tried to do the magic bit, and you know, you, you do relate to it as when you're a kid and you hear these stories, and you know, as you grow older, it's talking about that. It's like kind of a coming of age and the father and son. You know, lots of people do go through that period where they sort of like reevaluate what they've been told by the parents and start questioning it. You know, and actually. He goes totally the other way and he becomes a complete realist and he completely sort of eschews all sort of like fairy tale or fantasy. And, you know, and, and but, it, but it's really good. You're not, it's not like a simple sentimental story. So you're not all the way on Albert Finney's character and you're also not all the way on um, Billy Crudup's character either. Um, you, you kind of understand that actually, yeah, Ed Bloom Sr. has been quite a hard father to have. And, but you also see, look at Will Bloom and think, wow, he's quite, you know, he's not a hard son to have. So, it's really, really great tension. The, the fantasy goes really, really well in this film. And that's the whole point. You've got this fantasy tales where Ed Bloom is recounting his past stories and his life through these fantastical, really, really well done. And that's where Tim Burton does it. That's where you need Tim Burton as director to, to, to pull off these really, really amazing scenes between with these sort of fantastical characters. And, 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 and again, not, not totally sentimental. Again, quite, quite dark and quite hard hitting in some bits. Um, I mean, that's the whole point of the film is the fairy tale versus truth. And for me, you know, again, massive spoiler here, but the film culminates just absolutely beautifully. And it's so moving when um, there's a death scene. So so Albert Finney, you know, he he goes home. Ed Bloom Sr. is ill. And that's why Will Bloom goes goes to him. And throughout the film, as these stories are being told, Will Bloom starts to understand not just the truth of the stories, but why the dad tells these stories. That's the main thing. He understands his father and why he does tell these stories. And that's the main thing. It's not about the truth. It's why his father tells them. And at the end, it's really, really moving. And honestly, I, f- I found myself like quite but very touched. Is um, You've got Ed Bloom Sr. In, in on his deathbed and actually in the throes of death. And he's, he's really scared. And he's saying, you know, oh, how does it end? How does the story end? He, he, and he can't speak. He can't tell that story. So Will Bloom tells the story and he he then uses the fantasy to ease his father's passing. And it's like he's passed, you know, Will Ed Bloom Sr. has passed the torch to Will Bloom. And he not only does Will Bloom understand the relevance of a fairy tale story to ease reality, but he does it to ease his own father's death. I mean, that isn't, your standard sentimental story. That is, yeah, sentimental in the best sense of the word. Like, really, really touching. I'm going to say it. I, I actually cried when I watched this. Like, you know, I, I, that that bit was phenomenal and way beyond Tim Burton's other films. So, yeah, I I, I, I disagree with what Dave was saying in that. I, I think this is a really, really excellently done film. Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't going to touch on that mainly because it was... Um... So I, I so so it's quite it is very touching that little bit there. So I got an uncle who's uh, just recently passed, and he was a storyteller just like this. And um, and so yeah, the sentimentality uh, is there, and it and I think it is touching, and I think it was captured so very well that 
he he understands throughout. You know, his 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 son is such a realist throughout. He goes to see the doctor and he asks the doctor, "Listen, tell me about my dad's birth. Here's the story he told me. You know, what a load of bullshit." Paraphrased, of course. The doctor's like, "Well, yeah, it was a normal birth, but what a great story, you know." And he says it's a very entertaining story, but his but his birth was normal, and that's the the beginning of him piecing it together that actually what his dad's doing or what his dad's done over the years is built these stories and these fantasies to make life entertaining and to turn it into, you know, to make it engaging. And, and yeah, that, that realism and that, that growth that you see, the, you see him, well, you know, it's, you don't see him building, but it's that, that culmination at the end where actually he takes over the mantle in order to, to ease everyone. I think it is, it's just, I think it's brilliant. And it's, and it's all pieced together nicely. Tim Burton has a real way and, and is, is, uh, relationship with like um danny elfman uh the two of them work together so well to to piece a film together you know done it in so many other films so you know you get that feeling already and you know it's a, a tim burton danny elfman uh combination it, it's it's obvious but it's um yeah it's so well done and it, okay. and it really does it just it tugs at the heartstrings but in in all the right ways i would say not maybe it is a bit over the top but if it captures and it does the job then okay so um Quite an emotional argument there from uh, from Alex and Austin Gav. So, I mean, really, if you uh, disagree with them, some might say you're being insensitive. So, <laughs> I'm not sure where you're going to go Gav? with it. Do you well, have well, well, fortunately, fortunately for you, I actually do agree with Alex and Austin's points about the last scene being pretty well done. My issue with it is that it felt, for me, a bit merited. Um, I, I, like this overarching story, the one that Alex was talking about, I didn't feel it was as developed as it could have been. I felt that like it was quite weak in comparison to the other stuff. I also agree with another point that Alex made when he said the Burton conjures up these really beautiful scenes and images. I think he does. He does do a fantastic job of imagining these like strange and beautiful places. However wholeheartedly agree with Dave in that, you know, it just seems like story after story after story. What we get is this relentless storytelling. And it means that we only get a glimpse of these imaginings before we move on to another tale. He doesn't spend enough time on any one story for us to get a true sense of emotion or understanding of themes. You know, these scenes at the circus, he introduces this town, which is very Eden-like, called Spectre. Um, There's a brief glimpse of Edward Bloom's days in the war. You know, all of these are only really touched upon briefly. Um, So when we're introduced to these new and interesting characters, we don't spend enough time with them to really develop any connection. Um, Alex was talking about the relationship between him and his son. I don't really think that was touched upon enough. There was a very short bit later on in the film where William actually questions the, the reality of what he's been told all these years and he goes and he travels to this town this spectre town to see if it was real and you know w- whether there was any truth behind it or whether it was all made up and his dad was maybe having an affair um, but when he finds out that yeah it was sort of true and his dad wasn't having an affair his dad loved his family very much that's it. There's no further investigations. There's no interviews or conversations with people from the past. There's no further comparisons of what is real, what is imaginary, or maybe even a step into the looking glass for his son. It's it's sort of like kind of at the very end, everything is just shoehorned into this final death scene and funeral. We get this glimpse of, you know, perhaps it was slightly real. You know, there's elements of, of real there in the people that visit the father on his deathbed or attending his funeral but we don't get any further 
delve into that. Um, the, the problem is that all of this is just one big fairy tale. We're never shown any of the reality. And when we are, there's still an air of mysticism surrounding it. So the stories just become what they are, just fairy tales. And when they're shown over and over and over again, they just become a bit tired and less effective as the film goes on. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Gav. So I've got two fairly contrasting sides there. Um, I know you two uh, want to make a rebuttal, but I do kind of want to move on slightly this, this as was, well. Actually, my rebuttal was actually uh, a bit more did of a Did you just spoken? Um, so, um, I mean, I, I will give you a small chance to speak, but I, I do kind of want to move on to the, to the uh, cast as well, because obviously looking through the list... Um, it's quite a large and diverse cast, a lot larger than what we'd see in a typical film. Um, so, I mean, say what you need to say first, but obviously you keep it brief. And then if you just want to speak about the cast, really, obviously yeah. maybe a little bit more time on the on the main characters who get more screen time and then uh, rounds up with the uh, people who, you know, maybe rounds out the cast. Yeah, okay, well, let me, I'll do sort of a transition into the cast then. So I, my feeling is that where, where Gav's saying about we don't we don't get enough about all of these characters uh, through the end, I think that's kind of the point, and it's probably the, the bit where people say it's pretentious, is that their fantasy, these people are a fantasy, they're just something from a story up until the funeral scene, really. You know, he goes to see, he goes to the place, the, the settings of all of the stories, and he meets these characters or some of these characters, in order to get you know piece it together, and then, and you see, and and I think everyone is so perfectly cast. I mean, I know, I know you've got some of the usual suspects in here. You know, you've got Helena Bonham Carter playing Helena Bonham Carter, but uh, you know, I, I, she's you know the, she's his always his go-to witch. You know, it's it, I, but she does a great job of it. Um, but yeah, he goes to those things, and it, it's all pieced together at the end. And I guess this is the bit where it's sort of the pretentiousness is that they're a fantasy right through until the final scene, and that's when you see how hard-hitting, you know, the, the impact that one man has had on all of these stories and their piece together is that everyone turns up to his funeral. They all come to make that effort to pay their respects at the end. And it's that's, I think that's what makes it the powerful, powerful moment. He, he's told, he tells these stories and they're fantastical, but it's all pieced together at the end with everybody turning back up to, to say, you know, he made an effort for me and he saved us and, and here he is, we're all here. And it just kind of that realisation uh, to you as the as the listener and to you know as the viewer and then to his son as you know the skeptic essentially to look how look how powerful his dad actually was in terms of you know in terms of impacting other people but yeah I mean I thought um and I know we we touched on it at the start of the thing I like it Ewan McGregor's accent was a, a little uh if he has at uh, the start but um, I think you get straight into it after a while you know that it with the um with the Americana type music to start the, the the film you just get into that you get into that zone you, you feel that that's the character you know i don't really know the, the southern accent very well so within a you know within a few minutes that's totally fine that's just the accent whether it's accurate or not doesn't really matter to me that's the accent um so maybe if i lived in america and, and was there i might find it offensive but it, it's not so that that is no issue but i thought yeah uh, you know the, the Ed bloom young younger and senior and i think they, they both got the same mannerisms i think they pull off really well together it's just you can totally believe that they're the same they're the same character throughout you don't get a huge amount i think i've touched i'm not sure it's gab or it's dave but um they say you don't really see enough of 
of anyone throughout there. But I think you see enough of those two as the main character in in the settings to know that they're the same person quite easily, and and they, they nail it, you know, that throughout. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I love Helen Bonham Carter and everything, and I thought she was great in this. So, so I'm going to pass it over to uh, to Alex because I know he wanted to. Uh, you remember that, Joel? As he said, he loves Helen Bonham Carter in everything, right? So obviously, his opinion <laughs> is just not credible. <laughs> okay, um, Alex, do you want to uh, add to what Ozzy said before I pass it to Dave? Yeah, just just the cast. Just the cast are really, really well done. Um, you know, Hugh McGregor, I, you know, his, his accent at first, yeah, like exactly like Ozzy said, for the first 20 seconds, you're a bit like, what, what, you know? And then you just, <laughs> and then you just get into it. You just sort of forget about it. Not the best accent. Yeah. At least it's no consistent means. though. Yeah, it's consistent yes. and it yeah. doesn't it doesn't break the film. And also it, it kind of, in a way, sort of goes into this fairy tale aspect as well. So I don't think it was on purpose, but I think it, it the film, it covers quite well because you kind of not believe in a lot of those sections anyway. So the fact that he hasn't got a great accent maybe works in his favour. Albert Finney is amazing in this film. He's, I mean, he's amazing in pretty much every film, but it's like he was born to do this role. He's just a fantastic, like Dave said, as a raconteur. Albert Finney, you know, you, you, you don't have to be convinced that that guy can hold a room. You know, you, you, you just know it. And he's just, he, he's just watchable in every single scene. He's just absolutely fantastic. The best part, I think, in the acting is between Billy Crudup and Albert Finney. Just that tension that is all the way through it in the in the like in the more reality sections, and Billy Crudup does a really good job. It's a bit of a thankless task for him because he's kind of going around as just a bit of a spoil sport, basically a bit of a, a spoiled kid at times. But he, he he pulls it off really really well, and he he doesn't come across as just petulant. He does seem like he's got a genuine that that's what both of them really bring apart. They both you can see how they both don't understand each other and how they both have legitimate grievances against each other. It's not it's not one-dimensional jessica is Lang's this, incredible sorry is this the first time you've you've seen this film no I saw, I saw it when it came out in the cinema okay and then um jessica lang's really really good in it she 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 does a role absolutely perfectly and all the rest of the supporting cast i mean steve buscemi he's such a good comic actor and he's really funny in this i'd say he's probably with that with, with danny devito the, the funniest so cast is amazing but the main thing you're looking at here is albert finney and billy crudup and you know they smash it Okay, um, so Dave and Gav, we'll go over to you first, Dave. Um, a fair amount of praise there for, for most of the cast. Um, what I kind of want to know as well is, is it kind of um, not predictable in terms of its plot, but do you think maybe the cast list is a little bit predictable in terms of, um, you know, who, who Tim Burton has picked uh, to fulfill, you know, kind of each role? As he mentioned, you know, Helen Bonham Carter's kind of like a very overused witch, if you like. Uh, yeah. So, you know, things along those lines, really. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the casting was just a little too convenient. I mean, Helena Bonham Carter became his go-to person for a witch since he broke up with Lisa Marie, who was his previous go-to person for these sort of roles. He cast his partner in pretty much everything. You know, um, I think I don't think there's a project he did um, while he and Helena Bonham Carter were together that she wasn't a part of. So you can't really say that she was necessarily the, necessarily the right person for the role. I like Helena Bonham Carter. I think she's a very good actress, but was she necessarily the right person for this role or did she just get it because, you know, as a couple, they wanted to work together once more. I don't know. Makes sense on the financials. 
They might just make sense. <laughs> and, you know, it you know, saves you a lot of time catching up about your day and things like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but other than that, for casting, I, I think it was, it was a casting call of convenience. I think Albert Finney is, is great. He was a great actor, uh, much missed. Uh, Jessica Lange is one of my favorite actresses. Ewan McGregor, yeah, his accent is very ropey at the start. I was wondering why they'd cast Ewan McGregor in this. You know, why him over so many other actors? And uh, the reason why Ewan McGregor was cast was because he has an uncanny resemblance to Albert Finney when he was younger. And that is thinking outside the box. You know, they did look for a guy who visually uh, could look like a young Ed Bloom, a young Albert Finney. And if you Google Albert Finney when he was younger, it's, it is uncanny. He does look a lot like you and McGregor. Can I make um, a confession before? Sorry to butt in. When yeah, I first saw Albert Finney on the screen, I thought it was um, William Shatner. man that would have been a different star trek yeah i see it i see it man (laughs) i I would have quite happily had albert finney in star trek i'm not so sure i'd have had william shatner in this (laughs) but um no it was it was cast up for his look um because he looked so much like a young albert finney um I don't think he was the worst choice, but I think I do question there could have been a better choice than Ewan McGregor out there. Um, the interplay between Billy Crudup and Albert Finney, I actually think is very well done. I would have liked to have seen more of that, seeing as that is the underriding theme throughout the film. It is about the reconciliation uh, between the father and son. I would have liked to have seen more of them in the same room together uh, so we could actually see that relationship that had come apart kind of get woven together one last time uh, in the nick of time. Um, so I think, yeah, no, it does, but we don't see enough of that. I don't think it just kind of happens. It just kind of crescendos out. I mean, of the he can blue. only die once, can't he, Davey? Can't he can only die. Once. That's what <laughs> well, well, actually, actually, so he does die twice. Then, yeah. yeah. yeah that's why they can build to that moment, and that's why I would have liked to see that relationship develop rather than it just happen. Um, so I think, yeah, the casting was decent enough. I think there's some people in there that I really would have liked to see more of. But that's not necessarily a bad thing when you've got someone who's like, oh, I wish I'd seen a bit more of Danny DeVito in this. Uh, I wish I'd seen a bit more of Helena Bonham Carter in this. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do think you're, with a, a cast list so big, it looks better on paper than it actually is in reality because you don't get everything that you want out of them at the end of the day. Okay. Um, okay, Gav, I'll give you a chance to say your thoughts on the casting characters as well, but kind of keep it brief because I want you to then go into... Uh, like the visual aspects so maybe the cinematography and how it's filmed like is it good or is it kind of just you know what you'd expect from from Tim Burton and nothing you know maybe nothing more okay Um, Um, so crack on well, I won't cover too much of the casting part. I want to talk about some of the characters, though. Um, I think I think Dave did a good job there. Um, I, I, I think maybe I'm in the minority here, but when I was watching it, I just thought that the character of Edwards was a bit of an arsehole. I mean, he's just a big show-off that wants to be the best at everything. And like his tales from his early years before he left his hometown. It's just like a dick-swinging contest. You know, it's it's essentially just like, oh, yeah, I was the best of baseball i was the best at american football i did this i did that you know he shits on everybody metaphorically of course and then he leaves he then steals somebody's fiance a guy who he calls quote the biggest arsehole in town but the only time we've seen this guy before is we've seen him getting beaten at every sport and activity by edward in the past so essentially it's like edward is the bully and he's i can't get a break and he doesn't just steal this guy's fiance by the way he actively 
harasses and stalks her for a number of weeks. Doesn't right? stalk her. He's not it like does. he's in, he's in the does. rain. Do you know what I mean? She's bleeding <laughs> and he's like breathing over her. He's not he, hang, he hangs out outside her, outside their dorm all the time. You know, he's just there. Like she opens up her windows. He's there with a load of flowers. She opens up his windows. He's there declaring his love. He's outside school waiting for her. You know, he's in a bloody plane. Three times. Doing three sky times. Right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this, this film was long enough already before like getting bogged down more with how much stalking he did do uh, you know like he's, he's he's just not a good guy this guy essentially um, he's just a bit narcissistic he, he spoils his son's wedding by making his speech all about himself and he is constantly interrupts people who give actual anecdotes by telling another bullshit story so I didn't really like him as a character I can't, I can't wait for your children's wedding it's all going to be about me. It's all going to be about me. See, this is probably why it, the character annoys me so much, just because he reminded me so much. <laughs> but um, the other characters in the film, I felt were, you know, I'd argue uh, like that they were very underdeveloped. You know, we're introduced to new and interesting characters every other minute, but there's no real substance to them. Like Danny DeVito's circus owner character, what can you really say about that? You know, like, we don't really spend a lot of time with him. He's just kind of in the background. He's just there to kind of drive the plot forward. And then it turns out he's a werewolf and that never gets discussed ever again you know and then that happens time and time again you know like Helen Bonham Carter's witch you know she's got a glass eye she can see into the future and see people's deaths that's touched upon that's quite interesting does it come back again no right you know this happens just time and time again and when we spend any actual time in the real world the only other characters of note apart from Edward and William are their wives who are literally in the film to be their wives I feel like it's a complete waste of two immensely talented Oscar winning actresses um, and you know, there's just so much more that they could do but the story is just all about Edward and his son so whenever these come in they just feel like props essentially just like bits of the set that are just in the way of the story um, so before I go on to the visuals I can see Alex and Ozzy frantically waving their arms <laughs> at me yeah, well I wanted to say I, I want to say one thing is that the story is literally about Edward yeah. Bloom that's why it revolves around Edward Bloom. It's a father-son so. story, not mother-in-law, wife story. But, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, all, all I want from that is just a little bit more character. A little, but what can you say about Marion Cotillard's uh, character? You know, you the, Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard. <laughs> what can you, you say about her character? The show, say it in a French accent. <laughs> what I say is she's a supporting actor. Like, a lot of what Gav was saying there is, you know, that the cast don't, you know, all these things don't... Well, if you, if you made all of these small stories and then investigated them, then Gav's criticism would be spend too much time on it. You know, you, they're supporting roles. So Danny DeVito is a supporting role. You're not going to go into it. And the way he's talking about a well, werewolf, werewolf, that's just a little bit of... Tim Burton whimsy you know and you're not going to investigate all of these little bits some, too of much Gav, whimsy. some of what Gav was talking about is just simply just untrue in the film he's saying how like the eyeball is never referred to again it's constantly referred to like you can you okay. look in Richard's yeah. eyeball and it tells you about all right and I'll be quick like it tells you about the the witch's eyeball and it tells you about how you die and that's constantly referred to throughout the rest of the film I'm talking it, about the actual feel, eyeball itself I feel, or the witch. Yeah, I feel, I feel like she? Gab, this, yeah. is, this, this is a man who said he was the hand in the PC world advert. You're not telling me <laughs> that he's going he's gonna to lie to everybody. <laughs> he's, he's, listen, listen, I was the hand in the PC world advert. <laughs> it's, just to go back to the actual cinematography before we go back onto story, it, it's just really well shot. And like one thing I really like about this is that 
I'll be honest. Sometimes I don't like Tim Burton. I know that's sometimes sacrilegious, especially when you're like we were in sixth form. Like you know the the Batman films. Uh, you know, yeah, but I've I've never really got it. What I like about this is it feels like a bit more of a restrained Tim Burton because he's actually dealing with quite a serious story. Like like Dave said, I think it's quite near his heart because his own father died. So you know, it's a father son story that he needs to deal with properly. So he does put the right amount of whimsy in when it's the sort of like the werewolf, the circus, the the traveling, the the different little stories, the tales. But he's really restrained himself when it comes to the more real aspects of it, and and they're really beautifully shot. And it's another side of Tim Burton that you didn't know, and. It's one that I sort of wish he'd do a little bit more, if I'm honest, because he, he really is quite impressive. Like the, just the filming in itself, you, you do feel like the the fairy tale bits are shot very much in a in a beautiful fairy tale way, like sort of a, a 1950s Americana way. But then the modern day bits, there, there's a real subtle distinction in between them that is is very impressive and, and really great to see. Okay, so. Um... I think I've got enough in terms of the the plot and the cast and characters. So, really, it's just anything else that we that we want to bring up. I haven't really got much on, um, you know, the cinematography and uh, kind of the typical style that you might see with with Timber. And so, I'll let either Dave or Gav um, go first on that. Dave, uh, the typical style of Timber, and I would say, is not present. Uh, his trademark kind of gothic look, his use of, of black and white stripes, uh, you know, his use of like a lot of grey in his set design and things like that. It, it's it's completely absent. This is not. It doesn't look like a Tim Burton film, to be perfectly honest with you. Like Alex, he, Alex says he deliberately uh, held himself back a bit. You know, he showed a bit of restraint with his normal visual flair. I, I missed it a little, to be honest with you. You know, you, you turn up, to, you pitch up to see a Tim Burton film, you expect to be knocked off your feet by one of the most visually arresting directors of the last 40 years. Uh, and there isn't that. This this could have been anyone's film. This could have been directed by anyone. That trademark stamp has not been put on this. Similarly, uh, he restrained himself. Danny Elfman also restrained himself. Just to go back to the sound. This doesn't sound like a Danny Elfman soundtrack. It's it's missing that, that zaniness that you expect from Danny Elfman. It's, yeah, it's... On paper, it says that it's that kind of film, but it's not what you get when you sit down and watch it. Um, and so big fans of Tim Burton, and especially the visual style of Tim Burton, may be disappointed by this. Okay, Gav? I, I, would, I mean, I would massively disagree. I actually thought it was very, quite odd. I thought it was just like a colourful Tim Burton at times. It was, um, I thought it was very obviously Tim, Tim Burton. It, there was some throwbacks to like, there was a couple of scenes which looked just like um, Edward Scissorhands in terms of the rows of um, like suburbia. It's only, you know, brief moments, but that's that very Americana vibe. I thought there was, and I thought there were a few dark, it's not, you know, filled with dark, but I thought, uh, dark spots, but, you know, some of the, um, like, the sort of the woody mm. trees, you know, the foggy bits, I think it does get quite spooky at times, so it's not, but it's, it's, it's short and whimsical, it's trying to get, I thought it was fast-paced, um, and, and I thought it was actually beautifully shot, it was one of my, um, I think it's one of my favourite, uh, Tim Burton films, in actual fact, and I was—I've um, seen it once before, but I didn't realise till we started watching it again. I'd actually seen it before, and um, and yeah, I—I'm I, I'm really glad that we've been able to watch it again. Are you sure it wasn't Forrest, Forrest Gump that you'd seen? Yeah, it no, I'm positive <laughs> it was this. I, and and, and I, it, it took me—you know—it's just each scene. I go, shit, yeah, I do remember this. And honestly, it was. Um, I think it, and I think again the, the Danny Elfman. But I think it's um, yes, it is a little bit restrained. But I think it works in that sense. I think you can still tell it's Danny Elfman, um, and and some of the scene, some of the 
motifs and some of the the sort of musical stuff comes back in again later Danny Alfman pieces sort of like in Alice in Wonderland you hear some of the same vibes and obviously that's a very very different uh film but he, he draws off some of the same sort of the same the same themes I I I thought it worked very well together. It didn't need to be over the top um, musical, musically, but I think it works very well as a soundtrack in okay. its own right. And I think it still portrays the emotion that's on screen without being shown at the same time as the screen. So uh, I don't know. I just essentially, I, it's a straight, uh, a straight contradiction to what Dave said for me in this sense. I thought it was quite clearly uh, Tim Burton and quite clearly Danny Hoffman, but, um, and, and I think it worked well together. Okay, so um, Carver can't tell whether you're holding up your hand or your fingers just like really crooked, and that's just how you are now. <laughs> it's a bit of both, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought that like the visuals, these sort of beautiful images that he conjures up. Uh, you know, when he's talking about the stories and these different sets, they're very nice, but it's a bit too gimmicky. It's almost like he rushes through the actual story and he rushes through the real parts and the genuine yet human parts to get to the next story and to concentrate on that. It's like, you know, he he just rushes through that so he can get to this big, beautiful scene. Uh, And it's a bit too gimmicky, as I said. This, for me, felt like the turning point for Tim Byrne um, uh, when he stopped becoming this, this, this person who concentrated on story and characters and genuine performances and instead relied on uh, uh, there's no reliance of like cgi gimmicks and pantomime performances so a lot of these different like, um, tales like eden and you know the war stories and whatever it's literally just like uh, cartoon uh, pantomime sort of caricatures rather than actual characters and the scenes that we do have with genuine characters like you know edward bloom and his son that relationship there isn't covered as much than the, the other scenes and so it just seems a bit too much of an over-reliance on the fantasy aspect okay um alex uh are you making a really little sure. c there yeah little c for well you, you can guess what it means for gab but like <laughs> it's a big c actually <laughs> the the, the the like I feel like Gav missed the point of of Big Fish. Like he wants to go into like the the real the reality of what what was real and what wasn't, and you sort of miss the point of the story. Like the, it re- sort of comes to the point where it says it doesn't matter what's real and what's not. The point were the stories themselves. That was the the thing he was passing on to him. Um, I I just disagree with pretty much um everything Gav was saying there, and the main thing. <laughs> the main thing is that this film is quite... What I like about it is this film is quite short as well, so it doesn't outstay its welcome. So Gav was saying it sort of runs past the the, the reality sections and goes into these fantasy things that are cartoonish. Again, they're meant to be cartoonish. It's not meant to be reality. It's meant to be a clear difference between the fantasy and the reality. And I really like the fact that the film didn't outstay its welcome, and that's that's where it is moving, because you aren't bored by the end. You aren't like, right, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? It, it It's quite well paced so yeah totally disagree with Cafe. okay um so i think i've got pretty much enough and now if anybody you know has got anything small to add then then now's the time if not we'll go to uh dave is it used on quiz today it is it is uh anyone got anything to add or are we going on quiz it's not short it's over two hours <laughs> i don't like Gav. 
I'd write those points down. I want it down. I'd write those points down. They're both very irrelevant. Okay, quiz. Now, as we alluded to before, Tim Burton kind of has um, a Rolodex of people that he tends to cast time and time again throughout his various films. So, this is on a quiz on Tim Burton frequent collaborators or the unusual suspects, as I might call them. And it's open to everyone. You're not all getting your own personal question or anything. Just buzz in as as you see fit. Uh, question one, which big fish actor uh, would work with Burton on Corpse Bride, voicing the character of Finnis Everglot? Brutey. Uh, Ewan McGregor. Nope. So you just pick a name out your ass there, Brutey. Less my ass and more the cast of Big Fish. Albert Finney. I'll give a point to Gav. It is Albert Finney. Question number two. What was Helena Bonham Carter's first collaboration with Tim Burton? When did they get married? I don't even know if they ever did. Um, Was was she Mars Attacks? No. Was it this? (laughs) It wasn't this, no. (laughs) Was it Planet of the Apes? Point to Ozzy, it is Planet of the Apes. Well done. How did you even remember that existed? (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what I was hoping people would forget it. I I was just thinking any Tim Burton film that I I could think of, and that was the earliest one in the book. (laughs) I I was hoping people would forget that one. Uh, Question number three. What was the last film that eight-time collaborator Johnny Depp worked on with Tim Burton? Um, Bam. Dark Shadows. Point to Gavit is Dark Shadows. Question number four. Which... Which actor's two film roles consist of characters called Max Shrek and the Hessian? Christopher Walken. It is Christopher Walken. Well done. Question number five. Which actor voiced the Dodo in Alice in Wonderland, which marked his fifth and final collaboration with Tim Burton? Christopher Lee? No. Christopher Walken? No. <laughs> is, is this, when you say final, are they dead? They are dead. Um, About the year after Arsene Wonderland came out. Oh, I don't know. Think I Batman. Don't know. Oh, um, the guy who plays uh, the old the old man in Batman. Michael Goff. Michael Goff. You know, I'm going to give you both half a point because Ozzy knew what he meant and Gav... <laughs> I, remember, I can remember the character's name now. You know. The old uh, man in Batman, you know. Yeah. The old man that follows Batman around. Yeah, I mean, he could have met Jack Palance, but, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna presume he meant Michael Goff. <laughs> <laughs> but Michael Goff is correct. Alfred from Batman. Number six, which fast show actor has provided voices for Alice in Wonderland and Corpse Bride? Bam, bam, bam. Bam. Oh, Alex was first. Alex, gone. Yeah, Alex. No, no, don't, don't pity me. You go for it. <laughs> Paul Whitehouse. It is Paul Whitehouse. I was going to say Paul Whitehouse. Well, you did, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Fuck you. Seven. Who was, who was paying attention last week on the podcast? Which Burton collaborator loses his head in the opening five minutes of Sleepy Hollow? Bam. Bruce Martin Landau. It is Martin Landau. Bruce was paying attention. I was going to say Casper Van Dien again. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's more about the hour mark, I think. Yeah, no, I think there's something written into his contract as well that you can't get rid of his chin. <laughs> his chin well, get rid of his what, what's the point in having Casper Van Dien? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, question number eight. Which two-time Burton collaborator plays two roles in Mars Attacks? 
Oh, oh, bam. oh, oh I know. Oh, Jack. Jack. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, Jack uh, Nicholson. Jack, 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 Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I'm going to round you both up to a point for that. Yes. <laughs> Nice, it is indeed Jack Nicholson. Uh, previously collaborated on Burton with Batman. Uh, which other two time collaborator voiced a caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland? Oh. Who Alex is kind of reminding me of at the moment with the, with the smoke coming out. Yeah, anyone, anyone remember the voice of the caterpillar? Is the caterpillar uh, smoking or is the actor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, haven't, which, I haven't seen Alice in Wonderland. Which actor's no. the heavy smoker? <laughs> John no, Connery. I don't think anyone's getting that one. Uh, the answer is Alan Rickman. Question number 10. Which three-time collaborator was directed by Burton in the Killers music video, Here With Me? Anyone? Don't know. No. Chris, Chris, Christine Ritchie? No. Johnny Depp? No. Winona Ryder? No. Winona Ryder. Point to Alex. Oh. Where is this name of people? <laughs> yeah, I was just Tim Burton-y people. Uh, next question. Christopher Lee collaborated six times with Tim Burton. What was the first film he collaborated with him on? Sleepy Hollow? It is Sleepy Hollow. Point to Gav. And finally... How many films have Tim Burton and Danny Elfman worked on together? I will give the point to whoever is closest. Was it 30, did you say, Alex? No, maybe 30 is too much. 29. 20. 20 from Alex, 9 from Gav. 12. 12 from Joel. I'm going to say 13. Thirteen. Ozzy <laughs> gets the point. It is sixteen. Oh. I was thinking Ow. I was going to have to oh split the points there because there were two people oh. for for a part, but uh, that's three away. So Ozzy gets another point there, uh, and that is the quiz. Gav, I think you won that one fairly solidly, but but good good round, guys. Thanks, Dave. Gav. Good quiz. That is that is the unusual suspects <laughs> of, well of Tim Burton's iPhone contact list. <laughs> well done. Um, okay, so back so back to this. It was a. Uh, a fairly passionate defence tonight, I felt. And, um, you know, I think that side of the argument for me was kind of a, a little bit stronger. And as I say, I just felt it, it was a little bit more passionate overall. And um, to think that the thing that kind of swayed it for me was basically what, what Austin started off with, where he said, you know, it's a it's a film from, it's a film with heart, sorry, pretty much from, from beginning to end. And, you know, I, li- I liked what, what Alex said about that it's kind of hard to to separate the fact from the fiction, if you like, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't really matter. It's more about, uh, you know, what, what the, what the tale's about overall. Um, you know, you know, so there wasn't really a time when I was in two minds, um, not to say that the, the, uh, the prosecution did a bad job. I, I just felt like, you know, the defense was, as I say, more passionate overall about the film. And, um, you know, I, I definitely took that side overall. So it'll be interesting to watch it um, because it's not like kind of my usual, uh, you know, kind of cup of tea, these type of films. So we'll see what I think next week. So no. hit list. Yeah. It, 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 it. There's no it explosions is. in it, Joel. <laughs> but there is, there, there is some bum. So you might. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <around> about <laughs> Greg is in it, so he does get his arse out. <laughs> There's a, it's not pretentious, though. Even like prosecution, would you say it was pretentious? No. 
No, it's no, not I know, I don't. I, I don't think it's pretentious at all. Um, so, honest opinions, Alex? Yeah, I really liked it. Like I say, um, I actually liked it more this time than I remember it at the cinema. I think at the cinema, I don't know, I just didn't really get into it. Whereas this time, genuinely, I would, you know, obviously... <laughs> I didn't make it up about like crying at the end, do you know what I mean? <laughs> with the with the death scene. That that I, I I thought that was way beyond what you would normally expect in a Tim Burton film and it was really very powerful that You saw me you didn't cry in Batman. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. Or Dark Shadows. Well I did cry in <laughs> Dark Shadows, if I'm honest, but not not because it was good. <laughs> and I'll see. I uh, yeah, I'm the same as Alex. I actually preferred it this time to uh, the first time. I think I was just older. I, you know, more able to uh, to grasp some of the nuance in the story. Actually, is that it was? It's. I think it's a good story for for all ages, no, no doubt. But I think I'm. I saw something different in it this time round than I did last time. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Alex and Ozzy. To be honest, I really enjoyed it. Um, definitely more so than I did when I first watched it. I think I watched it with the same person you watched it with, Joel, and. I spent the film with them watching me watching it, which maybe put me off a little bit. Um, <laughs> we're talking about the person that I think we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, and I, 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 yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, and I, I cried during that bit as well. I thought it was incredibly well done, more so than I've ever seen in a Tim Burton film. To be honest, I was very surprised. Um, and it's it's sad in a way because I think he's 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 maybe captured or recaptured some form recently. I, I saw Dumbo, and I thought that there was sort of that balance between like genuine like emotion and, and human, um, and that fantasy element. I, th- I think that worked quite well. But it's it's bad that it sort of went off the rails for a bit. I think. I mean, you know, with Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland, they just became a bit too fantastical. I think this is like uh, the last plot point that yeah. his films were like really personal and like genuine I feel like he started believing his own uh, I, yeah hype is a nice yeah, way to say ways, it. yeah and yeah yeah and I was going to say so I got this I've got this uh, Tim Burton book and and so this is all like um, it's basically like collections of artwork from when he was younger and then as it's grown through and it's got all of the sort of the concept art for all of the pretty much every film until the book was published and yeah, that, that you can definitely see as it gets on throughout the book. So I, I still think it's really good and I'm a big fan, but as it gets further on, you can sort of tell that it's more about sort of weirdness for weirdness sake rather mm, than yeah. any yeah. real thought to it. But yeah. And then Dave, what do you think? Um, I have to stand by everything that Alex and Austin said, to be honest with you. <laughs> Once again, I have to play devil's advocate. And mm-hmm. yeah, Joel was right. My, there was no passion for me on this one. My heart was not in it. I loved it. I re- this is the first time I've watched it. I really enjoyed this. Casting was note perfect. I really couldn't criticize that. I was just scraping the barrel. I was, I was really hoping you were going to try and criticize <laughs> Albert Finney because I just knew it would, it would kill you. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm waiting for the time I sit down and watch a bad performance from Albert Finney. If we do that on films Ooh. on trial, I will prosecute it, but I'm not going to feel good about it. But I would, I would say. I would say, uh, is it Skyfall? Is that that one he's in? Like, oh, oh yeah, James Bond's uh, butler. I didn't think he was bad. I thought the, the character was unnecessary. I didn't think Albert Finney was bad necessarily. Well, no, yeah, maybe not. But it <laughs> exactly, is like, exactly. See, Albert Finney pulls why? it back every time. <laughs> why is I, I was, I was, his I was, I was waiting is, for is this. Is he Albert Finney? Is, he, is that actual <laughs> Albert? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I was waiting for this so much because I was like, oh, you know, like the film's like really, really good. But at least I'll be able to watch 
watch Alex like try and give a defense of Alba Finney through like like gritted teeth, you know, like because I know that he hates Alba Finney. What? And then it was only when we started that I remembered that I got confused with Michael Gambon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do not ever confuse Alba oh, Finney no. and Michael Gambon no, again. No. There is no comparison. Uh, but no, I thought the, the casting was great. I thought Ewan McGregor was great. He was he was charming throughout as Ed Bloom. I loved the line. It was funny as well. I love the line where he's talking about Norther, the guy from his village. Oh, he went down that path. He's the only guy who did. And whatever he found at the end of it, he must have really liked it because he never came back. It's just like, <laughs> I, was, I was just sat there thinking, that's not the only reason people don't come back. But, you know, I like his optimism. I like his character. And I did kind of tee up the defense a little with the with saying how it's not like a typical Tim Burton film. It's not a typical Danny Elfman score. It's not. And it's better for it, to be honest with you. It worked perfectly. And it, it goes to show how well these two work together, that they gel with each other so well that mm-hmm. when Burton is restrained, Elfman is restrained. You know, it worked perfectly between the two of them. So yeah, I was, Ozzy gave the perfect counterpoint to, to that, which I raised, which I wanted him to do. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. You were dancing to his fiddle, Ozzy, the whole time. I know, yeah. You, you <laughs> me along. I, I genuinely believe that he didn't, he didn't like the, uh, the score for a bit and I was like no I, I, I stand by yeah, this yeah, isn't yeah. typical Tim Burton but I think it is stronger for the fact yeah. that it's not typical Tim Burton no, I, yeah, was, yeah, uh, I, I do agree um, it, it's it's definitely less than say Alice in Wonderland or whatever which is but I, I think because the, the story was so close to like Dave said at the start because it is quite close to his heart I don't think it was like a mess about as much it no was, no yeah. he, he nailed it this is one of his best films by yeah by on far yeah. i think the score was the only oscar it was nominated for and uh potentially won as well so um yeah. it just goes to show how good it was but um yeah higher or lower than our previous film on trial which was deep blue sea which scored 60 <laughs> percent on Ron tomatoes higher or lower uh, hope it's um, higher. i'm hoping for higher I'm going to go for 75. Mid-70s. Well, Joel, this actually must be on Rotten Tomatoes right now because it is 75. Uh, I, I, can, know, I, down. I can almost see the Rotten Tomatoes logo reflected in his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just got his pants off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do like those pants, to be honest, Joel. What are they? The pyjama uh, bottoms? Uh, they are Spider-Man pyjama bottoms. Oh, nice. cool. office yeah. work. Yeah. this is my smart casual (laughs) right and um, so once again I put up a poll on Twitter over the weekend and I saw friends and followers which list Big Fish should be placed on 63% of them said the hit list so yeah um, that's lower than I thought but yeah 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 a little bit lower yeah Um, and yeah before we go on to our caption contest I think it's time for a bit of um, Dave trivia so Dave I'm going to let me tee you up here with some uh, some oh this will be good to symbolise what Dave's trivia is all about (laughs) yeah that's that's me all over isn't that that Bruce's sound like no, Bruce's soundbite is uh, I've I've many Joel (laughs) (laughs) he's got a whole I was thinking because we were on a fish theme, we, we, I could have gone with this, but I can't play for too long because it might. Uh... Good, be right. It might break everything on your desk. Yeah, I know. Yeah, was 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 that, was that the soundbite sound or was that just you knocking something over? <laughs> was that was that full? Was that a full glass? Or was I just it? wanted to get to the. I think he's listening to something, but we can't you know, hear it. One pound fish song. Yeah, we we can't actually hear it. We can't it. hear it. <laughs> Right, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Dave's <laughs> trivia, and you can patch yeah. it later and make it seem dead funny. Uh, I wasn't even sure this was trivia until I had to look it up afterwards. You know that scene where he goes into Spectre for the first time? There's a guy playing a banjo on a stoop? Yeah. 
it's I, I've sort of looked at that guy and I thought, is that the same guy from Deliverance? Mm. The kid that plays the banjo, and it is Billy Redden uh, from Deliverance. The kid who plays the banjo has the banjo duel um, with Ronnie Cox in Deliverance. That is the same guy. And I had a look, a quick look at Billy Redden. Had a Google. He has been in four films. He played Lonnie in Deliverance, and in the other three films, including Big Fish, he has been credited as Banjo Man. <laughs> Talk about typecasting, but yeah, that is the same kid from Deliverance playing a banjo again. It's yeah. such a weird thing to like hunt down. It's like Isn't we've it? got to get someone to play the banjo. What I about want that kid from Deliverance. I want the kid from Deliverance. <laughs> but the thing what is, about Ronnie Cox? Like that kid's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I want that man from. Yeah, but I, I bet you it's not like it's not like oh yeah, a normal looking banjo player. I bet you it's like oh yeah, we want an odd looking banjo player. <laughs> um, Would you reckon they want the kid from Deliverance? And then it's like he turns up and he's fifty, sixty, and they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a kid anymore. Well, I guess he can stay. <laughs> Right, well, thank you very much for that, Dave. So moving on to our caption contest and Joel. Um, come, come on, you can do it. Can do it. <laughs> nice. I can see as smooth as ever. Smooth as screen ever. You might have to, uh, to edit this bit out, Ozzy. I, I, no, no, I'm keep it, keep it all in. Show keep it all in, yeah. Of the, the Mine two weeks ago, Joel was saying that like my job was essentially piss easy and that he could do it all. I'm not even on Twitter, though. This is the thing. I just have to make it up. <laughs> you've got to guess your own ones ad-lib the caption contest <laughs> uh, so so you you mean you haven't even like logged in to know what we're saying I, I honestly didn't even realise it was my job <laughs> I just thought no, I just thought I was like a guest host last week no 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 uh, this is you now man this is you all over Shit, sorry, I pressed, pressed the screen. <laughs> That's Shall my calling card. Don't you overuse that. Do you know what? Have you got it up? Do you know what it is? I haven't got it up. I, I don't have a. Uh, so you've not been trying to get it up this entire time. I don't have Twitter, so I can't get it up for you. Okay, anyway, well, Wee. the picture is. Uh... Oh, God, do you want to describe it, Gav? Or... No, no, I'll see. Go on, you do it. Yeah. All right, so the picture is Danny DeVito Gav, uh, <laughs> naked with a big stick in his mouth. Um, you sure you're on the right thing? No, not 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 entirely. <laughs> <laughs> this is just part of my search history. This that is a creative one I've written as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if you can see that, but that is verbatim what I've written. Uh, Danny DeVito naked with a big stick in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, the first one is deliverance. Just hits different for some people. <laughs> Right online with uh, with your bit of trivia before Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was the guy from Deliverance who sent that bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was Billy Redden staying Thanks. relevant? Thankfully, Danny DeVito was cast instead of Ron Jeremy. <laughs> a phrase now, put oh. the wood in your mouth would have come out very differently. <laughs> oh. Oh. Um, Ron Jeremy takes his hedgehog nickname a little too seriously. A lot, uh, a lot, lots of Ron Jeremy. All of Ron Jeremy stuff, yeah. yeah. When I said I was into S&M, I was thinking swordfish and mackerel. <laughs> uh, I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. <laughs> and uh, bite down Mr. DeVito it's the, la- it's the least you can do after Deck the Halls <laughs> <laughs> I think last one for me personally. I like the last one yeah I like Deck the Halls <laughs> okay yeah I was okay, going to say well, that's going to win yeah that is, okay what were they thinking podcast WWTT podcast okay well done guys and you've just won yourself a what have they won Joel uh, a frog shaped 
Flippity Freddo treats, which is out of date, but <laughs> now even rarer because of uh, post-lockdown prices. Well done, Joel. Uh, okay, so uh, the next film has been picked. I won't say out of the hat at random. We essentially just decided that we wanted to do it. It is Netflix's new film or new release, The Old Guard, starring Charlize Theron. Uh, and the roles have been picked out of the hat at random, however. So in defense, trying to get the film placed on the hit list is going to be Joel and Ozzy. In prosecution and trying to get the film placed on the shit list is going to be myself and Alex, which means Dave is going to be the judge. Uh, so just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode. If you liked it please remember to like share and subscribe and why not leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts just spread the warm love that it's films on trial in as many years as possible and remember to follow us on all social media at film trials on twitter and films on trial on instagram facebook and youtube so that is it big fish is a hit and we're going to be in your ears next week with the old guard goodbye